We're so glad that you've joined us today on the Relevant Church Podcast. There's so much God wants to do in and through you as you listen to today's message. If you want to learn more about Relevant Church, visit us online at thisisrelevant.cc. Now here's Pastor Muta. Um, If you have a child or you've been a child, there's this thing about kids, about children, that they want to be adults fast. They want to grow up. They want to get their license. They want to get their independence. They want to get out of the house. They want to be able to do life on their own. They want to grow up quick. They don't want to be under a mommy and daddy's rule because sometimes it's tough and they don't like the rules and they don't like the chores and they don't want to go to sleep when they're supposed to go to sleep. But then something happens when you get older. You're like, can I please go to sleep before nine o'clock? You know, you don't want to drive anymore. You just can't wait. You're just saying, Lord, can I just go back to being a child again? Can I just go back to having things done for me again? Can I just go back to the days where I just came home and says, did you go grocery shopping? You know, you, you open the fridge, look, close it down. Mom, we need more milk. You don't want to have to be the one to go out and get milk and work the job to go get what you need. And kids want to grow up so fast, and they don't want to stay where they're at, and and they don't want to see life just go on the way it is. They want to hurry up and get to the point where the adults are because it always looks greener on the other side. It always looks better on the other side. Uh, so uh, so often we look at life and we see other people's lives and we're just saying, man, I would do it different if that was me. Uh, I don't know why they're making that decision, because if it was me, I would make a different decision. Or maybe sometimes we just look at other people's lives and feel like we can do it better or we can do it just as good. I remember I was on staff at a church and uh, we had a uh, Christian Community Development Association, which was uh, a nonprofit organization that has social enterprises that uh, employed people who had barriers. So one of our social enterprises, one of our businesses was a landscaping and lawn care company. And I remember they were short staffed and I was in the office and they were like, hey, you know, we got uh, we need some help. And I heard the pastor who was over that area talking about it. And I was like, man, I take care of my lawn at home. I can do this. I can absolutely take care of lawn. I can go out and cut some grass. What's so hard about cutting grass? They're like, we just can't keep people. People keep quitting and all of that. I'm like, man, people are chumps. I'm going to go out there. Let me cut some lawn. Until I found out we started at 6 in the morning and didn't end until it was dark. And it was 120 degrees outside, and you have to wear long pants, you have to wear jeans, because you don't want to get bit up and cut up and all this stuff. And then you're using the weed whacker or the weed whip, as they would call it, and it's going, it's going. When you're doing your own home lawn, lawn, it's a little different, because there's not too much gravel, whatever. You can manicure your lawn. Our lawn was dope. It was taken care of. And then I get out there, and I'm doing this, and I'm around rocks. And then one of these rocks comes up, pitches up, and hits me in my eye. And at that moment, I quit. I was like, y'all can find somebody else for this. I believe in air conditioning and not sweating while I work. But we always see what other people are doing and feel like we can do it a little bit better. You know, uh, I was at a conference a week or so ago, and uh, Lewis and I are at this conference, and we're sitting at this table, and there's a group of guys sitting next to us, and they're talking 
And Jose was there. Sorry, my bad. I didn't see you, Jose. Yes, Jose was there. We were hanging out at this conference. It was a really awesome conference in Chicago. And there's this group of individuals, and they're talking about sports, and they're debating about sports. And you know how guys get when we talk about sports. It was getting louder and louder and louder. The whole room now has stopped, and they're just watching these guys, and they're getting loud and like, LeBron this, and I could have done it better like this, and he should have taken this shot, and he should have made this decision. And I'm sitting there looking at them like, you can't even play basketball. Like, listen, if they put you on the court with LeBron, you would be stomped out in just a few seconds. You wouldn't be able to run halfway up the court at the speed that they're playing. And they're getting louder, and I mean, they're just, they're getting angry at each other, it seems like. And I'm, I'm literally about to go barbecue Becky on them. Officer, I'm afraid for my life. These guys are getting rowdy. It's easy when you're on the outside looking in and feel like you can do something better. You ever been, do you remember the time, for the people who don't have kids, maybe you see this happen all the time, but for the people who have kids, remember the time when you didn't have children and you were walking through the mall or walking to the grocery store and you see these little kids just, and you're looking at them like, man, their parents need to do something about that child. If I had a child, my child would not be doing that until you had one of your own little demon kids. And you're walking to the place like, just forgive me, be quiet. Don't embarrass me. It's always easier to look on the other side and see, like, I can do that better. And, you know, there's a group in society who gets judged the most, who gets condemned the most, who gets talked about the most, uh, individuals who get criticized the most. And I'm not talking about presidents and politicians. I'm talking about pastors. I'm talking about pastors. And today I came to share this statement with you that every pastor wants to say. If you only knew. If you only knew. Today we're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. House crew will get one to you. Would love for you to follow along. Also, if you didn't get a handout so you can follow along with the notes, I would invite you to grab one of those as well, too. Throw your hand up. Uh, they'll get you a handout. Uh, we believe in um, making the sermon portable. Uh, Sunday morning is just one, one stop, but throughout the week, God wants to minister to us, and so we believe the handouts are an opportunity for us to take some notes and review throughout the week and be encouraged throughout the week. We're going to be in the book of Second Corinthians, and it's written by a man, a pastor named Paul. And Paul's writing it to this church in this place called Corinth. And uh, he planted this church. He's planted a lot of churches in the region. And um, he just loves his churches. He's pouring out to these churches. He writes letters to his churches. So if we look in the Bible in the New Testament, many of these are letters that Paul wrote to his churches. Uh, but there's something that you really notice as you read the book of 2 Corinthians. It's uh, the overall theme is deeply personal. It's, it's deeply emotional and transparent. See, why he's writing it this way is because haters are being raised up in the church. There are people who are popping up, who are starting to come against his ministry. They're arguing against his ministry tactics. 
they're, they're coming up against the authenticity, authenticity of his ministry. They're coming up against whether he legitimately needs to be a, a preacher, an apostle, if he's really who he says he is. They're coming against the way uh, he's raising money and they're wondering how he's utilizing the money. And all this stuff is starting to raise up in the church and it's starting to cause division. They're questioning his motives. And so far, he's tried to take the high road. He's written them three letters, and this is the fourth letter. And this is one of those things every pastor wants to say letter. He, he steps in directly, and he begins to address the church. It's a letter of rebuke, meaning he's coming at them, and he ain't playing. He's like, listen, I about had enough of you guys. I'm sick and tired of all the grumbling. I'm sick and tired of all the backbiting. I'm sick and tired of you coming up against my ministry. And there's some things I got to let you know. And he tells them, listen, you guys better repent. Because at the end of the day, when you're coming up against me, talking about Paul, he says, you're not coming up against me. I was called to this by God himself. So you're going up against God. So I'm trying to protect you. So this is things every pastor wants to say, part four, if you only knew. Verse 24, he begins like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. He begins to give his ministry resume. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. See, what this means is uh, back in the Jewish culture and the Jewish context, if you were seen as somebody who was teaching falsely, if you were seen as somebody who was uh, coming against God in a specific way, or if you were somebody who they just were not happy with, you would receive 39 lashes according to their law. And this wasn't like, mom, grab your belt and whoop. Like this is, they were beating you down to the pulp so much so that they believed they stopped at 39 because they believed if they hit you one more time to make it 40, you would die. And the only reason they didn't beat people to death is because the Jews were under Roman guard and the, the, the Romans would not let them uh, execute capital punishment without the Roman permission. So literally, Paul says, I've been beat almost to death five times by church people. By my very own people. Isn't it interesting that um, church people sometimes are the harshest critics of the gospel? Uh, Let me tell you why. Because the gospel says everyone who comes and declares the name of Jesus Christ can be saved. And church people says, but they did that thing. But they were with that person. I saw them at that club. I saw them drink that drink. I saw them sleeping around with that person. And the gospel says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. These are the church people who are coming at him, beating him for teaching a gospel of inclusion, of saying, listen, there's no one who's shut out of the kingdom of heaven if they come to faith in Jesus. The gospel is an offense to the religious. See, religious people want it nice and cookie cutter and clean. 
oh, that person's got too many tattoos, they can't be here. Or that person's been married five times, they can't be here. It goes on. Verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. So now he's saying, I've gotten whipped 39 times times five by the Jews, and now I've been beaten three times with rods. And what this, what this was is this was uh, what Gentiles would give to people who were seen as disturbing the peace. If you came into an area and you started disturbing the peace, they would beat you with rods. Listen, anybody wasn't a Christian and then came to faith in Jesus, but before you came to faith in Jesus, somebody told you about the gospel, told you about Jesus, and you got mad because you didn't want to change your life? You wanted to stay just where you are? Listen, man, I I like the way I'm living right now. That Jesus stuff is going to make me have to change certain things in my life. And so now he's getting beat by people who are outside of the church. He can't win. The church people don't like him because he's including everybody. The people on the outside don't like him because he's convicting them. And now they're going to have to change their life. And he's disturbing the peace. And he's getting all into my business. He's getting beat from every single angle. And then it goes on to say that he was stoned. And if you look at scripture, stoning was the most common form of execution. When the church leaders got mad at Jesus, they picked up rocks to throw at him. When the church people saw the woman caught in adultery, they wanted to pick up rocks and stone her to death. And Paul's like, man, listen, they've tried to kill me. In fact, I I was facing capital punishment at this time. Got dangers from my own people. Dangers from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. I remember when Christine and I made the decision to leave the denomination that we grew up in. The religious denomination that we grew up in did not teach uh, the gospel authentically. And when we decided that Jesus was relevant and we needed to passionately follow him, we need to walk away this false teaching denomination, and we were literally blacklisted by everyone. Me and my father didn't talk for about two years. My best friend from college quit talking to me. We've never had a conversation ever since. People shunned us. We weren't part of the family anymore. People who were close to us, they talked bad about us. They they threw dirt on us. Danger for my own family. From my own people. Danger from Gentiles. And how many of you guys know that if we're real, if we look at Christianity and we juxtapose it with culture, culture is pretty anti-Christian. At the end of the day, uh, the fabric of our society is anti-Christian. Just turn on the TV. Listen to music. Look at the stuff that we watch on TV. It's, it's, it's inherently anti-Christian, and, and, and he's facing danger from everyone else. And then he says, dangers from false brothers. Can I tell y'all a secret? Promise you're not going to tell anybody? <laughs> 99% of 
even in church, haters exist. There are people in church that are there and exist for one purpose only. Satan has placed them there to cause division. I've seen it in every single church I've been a part of. That there are people there, and and to them, they're all well-meaning, but when you see them and you hear them, you realize you are here, and you've got a spirit of division about you. You know, on, on Instagram and on Twitter and all of that, we call them trolls. They're people who troll churches. They show up just so that they can come against you. And he's saying, this is the stuff that I'm dealing with. And we go on to verse 27. He says, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. He's like, in toil and hardship, it's hard to be a pastor, y'all. He says, in toil, I'm constantly working. I don't get to sleep at night. I'm constantly thinking about the church. I'm constantly doing stuff so we can push the church forward. In fact, I'm broke, so I have to work now. I make tents, and we see that uh, Paul was a tent maker. That was his trade. So not only does he have to have a day job, you know, Pastor D knows about that life, and then you've got to still do ministry at the same time in toil and hardship. In hunger and thirst, he says, listen, finances aren't coming in quick enough, and there's been times where I've had to go hungry. I've been thirsty. I haven't had. I've had to go without so that the ministry could go forward. And these people are coming up against me. They're judging me. They're complaining. Do you realize what I have to go through? Then he says, without food, this is voluntary. This is him saying, not only am I, am I being starved because the resources are not there, but I'm also taking time to pray and fast because there's some things going on, and I need God's Holy Spirit to come and move. So I'm going to deprive myself. I'm only going to dedicate myself to God because I need him to move in the life of my church. He says, this is, this is the burden that I'm carrying. And then verse 28, he says this, and apart from other things. This is one of those things where he's like, listen, I could tell y'all more, but I'm not even going to belabor the point anymore. There's so much more. There's other things that I would love to tell you. There's so much stuff that I go through, but I'm not even going to go there. Let me just finish with this. And apart from the other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. There's this daily pressure on me. I've got anxiety. My stomach is in knots. My stomach is in turmoil every day about the church. Oh, while you guys are resting over there grumbling about my ministry and grumbling about the way things go on and deciding that you want to start this faction over here and this faction over here and you want to start all this gossip coming in, I'm sitting here worried about keeping things together. This is Paul's resume. And if I'm honest, this is almost every pastor I know's resume. The weight the pastors carry when they're leading churches. I just spent uh, the last week with over 40 pastors. And we've had conversations after conversation. I remember when they started praying at the end and everybody's being, uh, the, the person up front is saying, who needs prayer? Who's going through stuff? And everybody's hands are shooting up high. 
And everybody's praying for everybody. Brother, hang in there. You're going to make it. Hang in there. Keep doing what you're doing. Hang in there. God is with you. Keep pushing. Keep going. Keep progressing. We know what you're going through because pastoring is hard work. It's hard work. (laughs) I, I put here in my notes, we worry about bills, buildings, and butts. Yeah, it's in my notes. You're worried about taking care of the church bills. You're worried about, hey, is this building sufficient enough? Is this building okay? Uh, Just a few weeks ago, we had water issues, and I'm wondering, like, my gosh, is somebody going to get sick? Is somebody going to slip? What happens? Then you're worried about butts, the people who act like butts. Don't, listen, don't judge me. You know some people act that way. They act stanky. And these are the things that you're carrying on you daily. So I wanted to share with you in our last few moments six things every pastor wants you to know. Like I said, I spent uh, a week with 40-plus pastors, and we talked, and there's themes that kind of come around and circle around. And so Christine and I, on our way back uh, from this trip, we're literally sitting down, put it into one coherent teaching. And the way I've written it is it's this way. Listen, I've written it from the point of you reading it to yourself, telling yourself this. Because there's going to be times where I'm not going to make you happy. There's going to be times where I'm going to make you mad. There's going to be times where you're going to question the decisions that are made. There's going to be times where you're not going to like what's going on. There's going to be times where you feel like you're being neglected. There's going to be times where you feel like they just don't care. I don't receive a phone call from them. I see them hanging out with so-and-so on Facebook all the time. How come they don't hang with me? So I believe that these things are things that you should pin up somewhere, in your closet, in your bathroom, at work. Because every time you want to grumble against your pastor, maybe this is not your home church, maybe your home church is elsewhere, and I want to encourage you that every time you want to grumble against your pastor, wherever your pastor is at, that you will read this list and begin to pray for your pastor before you start persecuting him. Instead of predicting their failure, start protecting their faith. Start lifting them up. Start encouraging them through prayer. I'll tell you one thing. One of the greatest things that I ever received is is a text message from somebody randomly who just says, Pastor, I'm praying for you. The load that you carry is heavy. And I'm not sharing this so that you guys would have pity on me. I'm going to share some transparent things here. I'm sharing you this to let you know that it's a load. And, but we choose to be here. And this is the moment in the message where everybody goes quiet, and everybody's going to be quiet for the rest of the message. Because you don't know whether to laugh, smile, amen. Point number one. Just because they don't call doesn't mean they don't care. Just because they don't call 
that doesn't mean they don't care. In verse 28, he says, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Daily anxiety, daily pressure. Every single day, we're constantly thinking about the church. We're constantly thinking about you. We're constantly praying for you. We're constantly have you on our mind. We've got your well-being on our mind. We are just, we're constantly thinking about you. And just because we don't call does not mean we don't care. Listen, once you get over 20 people, it's hard to remember to keep hitting every single person up. That's why I've gone into the 21st century and I've gotten the prayer app uh, called Echo now. And I put everybody's name in there who comes to church so that every day a new name pops up. Pray for this person. Pray for this person. And many times your names come through. Because I'm constantly praying for you. I love the way Paul says it in Colossians 1, 9 through 11. He says, we have not ceased to pray for you. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of wisdom, knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. We're praying for you. Daily, we think about you more than you think we do. You're on our minds more than you think we do. Point number two, Sundays make up only one-seventh of their work days. Sundays only make up one-seventh. Anybody here who works seven days can understand what I'm saying. Anybody who owns a business, demand understands that pressure of constantly thinking about things going on. When you're, even when you're away from it, you're constantly thinking about it. You know, many times you guys are sleeping, we're up working. Many times you guys are on vacation, we are still in the office. You guys get to enjoy your Saturdays. Saturdays for me and my wife are prepping for Sunday. In fact, just yesterday, I was in the office 17 hours. I'm not saying this to brag. I'm not saying this to, to, to say that I'm working harder than y'all. I'm just letting you know there is nothing more all-consuming than being a pastor. You know, I was, uh, uh, Christine and I were at this pastor's retreat, and we were in sessions all day. And every time we had a break from the sessions, the first thing that we would do is either dr- grab our phones and start sending emails, start sending text messages, talking to people, planning for Sunday, planning for the future. Or we'll go back to our room, and we're sitting, and all the pastors are like, hey, what you about to do? Some people are like, man, I got to go sleep. I'm so tired. This is the only time that I have. Some people are like, man, I got some work to catch up on. And everybody's just sitting on their laptops working. He says this in Philippians 2.17. There's a, there's a but here. Philippians 2.17 says this. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And what he means here in the, Jew, in, in the old uh, customs of people making sacrificial offering, both in the Jew, Jewish and the Gentile context, what they would do, they would take wine and they would pour it on the altar. They poured out one for the homies. 
And this is how he's saying, this is how I live my life. I'm being poured out for the homies. And I don't, I don't mind how much I'm being poured out for the homies because I get to rejoice with you all when God works in your lives. You know, there's this quote. I don't know who wrote this quote. I, I can't remember who it was, but it just I had to write it down when I saw it. It said this. There is no other career that is more all-consuming as the role of a senior pastor. Well, maybe the president of the United States. However, eternity does not hang in the balance of their decisions. What? Mic drop. End the sermon right there. (laughs) You never had a chance. I'm preaching this thing to the end. Listen, it's... As pastors, we're not only going to have to stand in front of God for our lives or the way we raised up our family, but we also have to be accountable for every single one of you. That's why in scripture it says, give a break from the leaders in the church, especially those who will have to give an account for you. Because at the end of time, it's not only my life and my family's life that I have to answer for. It's going to be for how I taught you, how I treated you, how I raised you up, how I held you accountable. It's all consuming. Sundays make up only one-seventh of their work days. Point number three. Got a little creative with writing this one. I thought, you know, do a little something different. So this is you talking to the pastor saying, you too? And the pastors respond, yes, us too. You fill in the blank. You too? Yes, us too. You worry too? Yes, us too. You get scared too? Yes, us too. You struggle in your faith too? Yes, us too. You fight with your spouse too? Yes, us too. Your kids are crazy? Yes, us too. They're even worse. They're PKs. That's what they call pastors' kids. They call them PKs because they just can't say anything else. Darn PKs. Pray, pray for my children, y'all. Pray for Pastor Derek's children. You struggle, you sin too. Yes, us too. I remember I told this story of a, a, a few messages ago. There was a guy who was sitting there telling me, and he was tra- ta- talking about temptation and lust and all this type of stuff. And he's like, but you don't get that. I mean, you're a pastor. I was like, bro, I'm a dude. I know exactly what you're saying. I've been there too. I struggle too. We're here to hold each other up. So never, ever think, well, man, I just dropped this ball. I can't show up to church because pastor's going to judge me. I remember a, a few months back, there was somebody who goes to this very church that made a mistake. They'd gone back into their ways that they, they were part of before they became a Christian, and they had a slipping and a falling back, and they quit coming to church. And I remember my wife talked to this individual, and they says, I am so afraid that the pastor's going to look at me different. Now, girl, you know how many times I've made mistakes? You know how many times as a pastor I've dropped the ball? Aren't you glad we serve a Jesus who takes us back? The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets right back up again. Yeah, I didn't shout on that. Perfect. I'm sorry. I like feedback in the church. Point number four. This is for somebody in here. 
No, the tithe money does not go to them. If it did, I would not be living the way I'm living. Because I got my eyes set on a specific car. You know, because of the misuse of income by a lot of ministry leaders or some lavish expenses, people begin to attribute um, misuse of funds or whatnot to pastors and leaders. And it's kind of like you throw the baby out the bathwater. Well, all pastors are, 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 are stealing money. All pastors are just stingy. And when they ask for offering, they're just trying to fill up their coffers. And that's not true. So much so that I remember when my mom, when I told my mom that I was going into ministry, I said, Mom and Dad, I got something I want to share with you guys. And so I sit down with them in their living room. And I'm like, Mom, I believe that God has called me to ministry and I'm accepting that call. And my parents are Christian, so I thought they would be like, yay, we're so proud of you. My mom put her head in her hands like. I was like, Mom, what's wrong? You're just overwhelmed by the amazingness of God's glory taking me to be in ministry. She says, no, you're going to be broke for the rest of your life. (laughs) Ministry is not about getting rich, y'all. It's definitely not. I remember last last year, uh, Derek, uh, who's our executive pastor and oversees, like, our finances and all of that, looked at um, my income last year, and he was just like, where's the rest? I'm like, where's the rest of what? He was like, I can't believe this is all you guys made last year. And I was like, yep. He said, how the heck did you make it? You're a family of five. Jesus. I don't know how we did it, but God is faithful. We're not in this thing to make money. We're in this thing to serve. We're in this thing to be poured out. You know, there's been times where we've had to make decisions where it's like, hey, there's a little money in the church account. We haven't been, you know, given an income that month or maybe the past couple of months and there's rent due and we have to make the decision. Do we pay church's rent? Do we pay church's bills or do we pay our bills and the church's bills? Well, you know what? God will carry us if all hell breaks loose for us. So we'll just go ahead and take care of his house first. Plenty of times we've had to do that. Pastor D sometimes is like, yo, you have to take something. I'm like, we have to pay bills at this church because there's people coming on Sunday. So no, the tithe money does not go to them. Sometimes I wish it did. I'm just being honest. Just saying. (laughs) Point number five is interesting. With this one, I didn't even put any bullet points. It's simply this. Yes, it's always personal. Oftentimes, you talk to people as pastors, and they they come up to you, and they've got these grievances, and they've got all these complaints. And the first thing they say, well, you know, I just don't want you to take it personally. Ah, you know what? I am. (laughs) Just be honest. Why? Because this thing is all-consuming. This is my life. This This is what I live, eat, and breathe. So when you're saying something, yes. It's always personal. Now, listen, let me give you the freedom right now. Tell me anyway. I'm a big boy. I'll get over it. You can't be a pastor and have thin skin. We've got thick skin. 
We can deal with it. We can, we can deal with, with your frustrations. We can deal with your complaints. This is the burden that we've uh, allowed ourselves to submit to. But it's going to be personal. It hurts. Take a little care. Because it's always personal for this. Like I said, I'm not saying don't tell us stuff. I'm just saying, really think about it. Go to God in prayer before you bring it up. Like, is this, is this even legit that I need to bring up? Or is this just another thing that's going to be another burden on their back? In the grand scheme of things, is this moving the ministry forward or am I just whining and complaining because it didn't go my way? Point number six, it's not their career, it's their calling, because they love Jesus. <laughs> can, I, uh, can I just say something really frankly? We don't do this because we love you. Because some of y'all are hard to love. So, authenticity, thank you. My, one of my relevant youth just gave me freedom. Thank you. Listen, some of y'all are hard to love. We love you as a child of God. But in the flesh, we bless you in the name of Jesus. Y'all are hard to love. We don't do this because we love you. We do this because we love Jesus. We believe in his mission and we believe in his kingdom and we believe that when his kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven, your life will be better, my life will be better, and the world will be a better place. We love to see God's name glorified. We love to see Jesus lifted up. And I remember what John Piper says, one of my favorite theologians, he says this, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. And if I want to see God get the glory, then I've got to get, make sure that you are not looking for satisfaction and things are going to fade away, not in money, not in careers, not in whatever it is you want to throw in the way to make yourself feel better. It's all going to fall. It's not going to work. The bottom will fall out except for Jesus. He is the only one who is going to come through time and time again. He's the only one who's going to hold you up when you're down. He is the lifter of your head. And as you know about life, life will throw so many things at you. And I want you to know that there's nothing that will satisfy you more than a personal relationship, a personal encounter with the man, the God, Jesus Christ. It's our, it's our calling, not our career. If this was our career, we would have quit a long time ago. I told y'all about last October last week. I was ready to go. But God reminded me, it's your calling. See, careers change. Callings are eternal. Careers are, are, are seasonal. Callings stand the test of time. Because only in a calling do you feel the pressure and the burden and feel the weight of the world on you, but you still push through. It's a calling, not a career. 
And so we've dedicated our lives to loving you and serving you and learning to love some of you. I had to put that there. I just had to be honest. So this is what he says in chapter 12, verse 15. He says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. And then he goes on in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. He says, listen, uh, all these things that are taking place in my life, the burden that I carry every single day, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, though we're tired, though we work 17-hour days and then we look on Facebook and y'all at the beach like, oh, look at me, and I'm over here in the office like, man, I got to preach to you tomorrow. I'm not like that. Only sometimes. When our outer self is wasting away, when we're tired, when we're burdened, and we've got the world's uh, weight on our shoulders because we're worried about the church, we're worried about the next phase, we're worried about where God is leading us, we're praying for you guys, we're carrying your burdens for you, we're coming to God while you guys are sleeping, we're on our knees praying for y'all every day while our body is wasting away. We don't lose heart. Why? Because our inner self is being renewed day by day. It's all worth it. It's all worth it. Why? Because for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. All I care about is hearing well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little. Now I'm going to set you over much. Enter into the joy of the Lord. I'll say thank you, Jesus. It was all worth it. So I don't lose heart. We keep pushing. We keep going. No matter whether you talk about us, whether you love us or you hate us. We keep going. We don't lose heart. Why? Because it's our calling, not our career, and we love Jesus. And because we love Jesus, we will serve you. We will pray for you. We will pray for you. We will walk alongside of you. We will struggle with you. We will cry with you. We will talk with you. We will honor you. So why am I telling you all of this? Because not only is this the life of a pastor, this is the life of a Christian. Remember last week we talked about carrying your cross? This is Paul saying, this is just what my cross looks like. For you, your cross looks very different. But guess what? It's still a burden that you carry. As a believer, you're going to have to carry the weight of your cross on your shoulder. And there are going to be times where you'll want to give up and say, God, is this worth it? I'm trying to live like a Christian, but my family is looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm trying to uh, follow uh, the way of Jesus, but my friends all around me are looking at me like I'm nuts. I remember I was talking to a student, one of our youth here uh, yesterday, uh, or maybe it was two days ago. It was one of these last couple days, and he was telling me how uh, a lot of his friends are mad at him. And I said, why? He says, because I didn't want to get down like I used to. I was there. I was present. Remember, Jesus was present, but he didn't partake. And this young man is telling me, listen, I was there, and I didn't want to partake, and everybody's mad at me. And I got to encourage him, don't lose heart. You're just carrying your cross, brother. You'll get through it. You'll make it. Keep pushing. 
Why did I tell you this message? Because this message is not only for pastors, it's for you. People are going to misunderstand you. People are going to talk about you. People are going to come against you. You're going to get sick. You're going to get tired. You're going to get frustrated. And I'm telling you that it's Jesus who is going to get you through. So don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Listen, you, you, you may not see the rewards of your faithfulness here on earth. Maybe you'll see a little fruit here and there. But your reward is sure in glory. You have that hope. You have that sure hope. That's our hope. Things every pastor wants to say. If you only knew. And if you don't know, now you know. Let's pray. God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that no matter what burden we carry on this earth, your, your word says that Christ's burden is easy. His burden is light. That he will never leave us nor forsake us. That you will walk with us daily. God, that you will carry us. Your word says we will be refreshed. We will be carried on wings of eagles. Because you care. And just because every prayer is not answered the way we want to, you still, you still care. And just because we don't see you show up in every moment, you are on call 24-7 and you are right there. You take no days off. We're thankful, Lord, that you carry and, and own the, the cattle on a thousand hills, meaning you own everything. You've got every resource out there, and you are ready to provide when we need. We're so grateful, Lord, that Jesus didn't turn back from the cross. That he went the whole way. That even when he was being battered and bruised and beat up and stabbed and spit on and ridiculed, he didn't lose heart. Scripture tells us, for we have a high priest who can sympathize with us. That he's gone through everything, every temptation, every frustration. He's felt abandoned. He's felt ridiculed. He's felt hurt. He's felt the weight of the world on his shoulders. He can identify with us. And Lord, thank you for sending us Jesus because we look at him as the model of never losing heart. God, I pray that we all won't lose heart. That we'll pursue you. And God, maybe there's somebody in here who's not made a decision to follow you. Maybe they've looked at their life and, and really there's a, there's a gap there. There's a hole there. And they're not, they're not willing to admit it. They haven't been willing to admit it for so long. They've, they've been trying to walk in through life as if they've got everything together. And today, something in this message, uh, I don't know how, I don't know somehow, but you are, you've touched their heart and you're saying, it's time to just come home. Stop running. 
Stop trying to do everything by yourself. Stop trying to act like you know everything because when you look in the mirror, you know you don't got it all together. Stop faking the funk. I pray that if they're in here, Lord, they will respond to this call. And while all heads are bowed and all eyes are closed, if you are in here, you've heard about Jesus. You've heard people preach about him, talk about him, sing about him. But in your heart, you've never really committed to following him. Maybe even when you talk to people and and you give them that brush answer, I know Jesus, I know God, but truly you are not a follower of him. Today he's saying, don't harden your heart anymore. Make a decision to follow me. If you are in this space, I just want you to slip up your hand. All eyes are closed. Nobody's looking at you. Nobody's wondering, is it that person or is that person? All eyes are closed. All heads are bowed. If you're in here, just go ahead and slip your hand up and slip it right back down. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Praise Jesus. God, we thank you. Listen, God loves you. He's for you. You will never be so far away from him that he will never be right by your side. He's willing to hold you up and protect you. The enemy is going to throw all types of stuff to you. But Jesus has seen your hand. He says, if you confess me before man, I'll confess you before God. So today, he has just confessed you as his brother in front of God. As his sister in front of God. You have a whole new lease on life. And listen, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Uh, This prayer is is simply you repenting of your sins. And you know what we're going to do? We're all going to say it so that you don't feel like you're by yourself in this thing. So I'm going to ask everybody to pray with me right now. Say, dear God, forgive me. I've tried to live life on my own. But if I look in the mirror, I know who I am. I've got faults. I've got things in my life that I can't do without you. So today, I'm giving my all to you. I'm giving you my heart. I'm giving you my life. Take it and use it for your glory. Carry me until the end of time when I can meet you face to face. It is in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Shout of praise for Jesus today. Thank you again for joining us on the Relevant Church Podcast. If this message has been impactful to you, let us know by sending an email to hello at thisisrelevant.cc. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing at giving.thisisrelevant.cc. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel for more messages like this one.